get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Yes, it is. Welcome, everybody. TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. Delivered by Domino's here on TSN 1050 Toronto. Nice show for you today. We're going to be breaking down post-trade deadline. We've had some time to gather what has happened. There's been a firing in Ottawa. There's been shakeups all over. So this show will be about, okay, the deadline's done. Now it's go time. Now, it's the march to the playoffs. Travis Yost from tsn.ca will kick things off as he does in the leadoff spot in just a moment. Gus Katsaros, Roto World Analytics columnist, McKean's hockey analyst as well after that. John Mattis, a national hockey writer with the score and host of the Puck Pursuit podcast. Following him, then some fantasy hockey talk with James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer. Involved with that too, I want to know the biggest winners and losers Coming out of the trade deadline, fantasy-wise. So we'll get that. If you have any fantasy hockey questions, you can tweet us at TSN Analytics, James at jharding underscore hockey, and use the hashtag HeyHarding. But without further ado, my guy, Travis Yost off the top. Travis, how are you? I'm doing good. Make sure you grill John, um, because every time I'm on his podcast, he treats me very, very harshly. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, buddy, I'll do it for you, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll stack right. him with questions. We'll get him. Don't worry. Uh, Travis, I'm sure you saw the, uh, the, the, the press release about the Ottawa Senators, or should I say the rebuilding Ottawa Senators as described by themselves in their press release after firing head coach Guy Boucher. First of all, how weird is that? Like, doesn't that just add to the dumpster fire that are the Senators? Like, it, it's just a strange look to me. Well, I, you know what? I, I think you have to start openly discussing at what point the league uh, gets involved in some way, shape, or form to kind of restore some normalcy. I mean, I heard I heard this discussion kind of permeate on either TSN 1200, uh, you know, a few of the local radio shows in Canada. It, it's become now more of a national topic. And I mean, let, 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 look at the look at the firing, right? They they put a release out that basically says, "Hey, we fired Guy Boucher," which in that in and of itself was bizarre. There's 18 games left. There is utterly nothing to play for, <laughs> and the team just gave him a full vote of confidence like 48 hours ago. Okay, so you fired Guy Boucher. Then, as soon as you fire him, you basically put out a press release that says, we need all of these things, which, right, wrong, or otherwise, if you're reading that, you interpret that, at least I did, like, hey, here are all the areas where Guy Boucher failed. And, <laughs> I mean, talk about a way of sticking a knife in a guy's back because he's heading out the door. And whether that was Ottawa's intention or not, that's how people perceived it. Like, this is where all the areas of where this guy fell. And, again, I think you can openly discuss the merit and, uh, of, of Guy Boucher's uh, tenure there and whether or not he deserved uh, to continue coaching that team. A uh, fair discussion. But, I mean, the, the front office comes out and says, hey, yeah, we gutted the roster. We're going to be terrible. We're not going to spend any money. We made, this is a quote, we made Guy Boucher's life very hard. <laughs> And, oh, yeah, well, he's a full vote of confidence. And then 48 hours later, ooh, no, 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 no. Uh, actually, Guy Boucher is no longer the coach. And now we're going to go on an interim basis to a guy. Oh, and by the way, jokingly, but maybe not, if he goes 18-0, and 0, he gets the job. I, I, just, I mean, you, you, you can't. And, and let's, you know, we, we always we say on this show, everywhere else, like, 
oh, this is it. It's rock bottom. Guess what? It's not rock bottom. No. This is not rock bottom. There will be something that just keeps putting the floor lower and lower. The spiral continues in the nation's capital. Poor, poor Guy Boucher. We hardly knew ye. Okay, so Ottawa was the busiest team at the trade deadline, Travis, from the seller's perspective. From the buyer's side, though, no one overhauled things like the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, this is... All in that front office said, all right, we are going for it now. We're also putting ourselves in a nice position for the future. We didn't give up our main prospects. Do you feel the Blue Jackets can capture lightning in a bottle here? Have they done enough to really make themselves true players? I, I got let me let me say this. I, I admire Yarmo. I mean, yeah. uh, in, a, in, a, in a league, in a sport where everyone errs on the side of conservatism, and people really don't like making gambles because when those gambles backfire, everyone loses the job. Uh, he was staring down the barrel of his two best players wanted a trade, wanted to be moved. Um, Maybe the relationships aren't acrimonious, but their, their future is not long in Columbus. Um, And he looked at it and he said, Hey, look, I've got these guys. They're here to at least win this year. And I've got a pretty good team and my division is not as good as it used to be. And uh, if we can go out and add talent for 80 to 90 cents on the dollar, and actually make a real push at winning some playoff games, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to take that shot. And I think more to your point, they did it fairly strategically in the, mm. to the extent that they didn't give up their best prospects. Um, you know, it, it was some, some, hockey, uh, some hockey futures mags and, and, and the people who follow the Blue Jacket system more closely. I think you have a mix of their third and sixth best prospects between Abramov and Davidson and then, you know, I saw second and fifth. The point being, like, they, they didn't give up the two key prospects that they didn't want to part with in these trades for Duchesne and Dezingle. Um, and, I, again, their window is very much open right now. Now, this, these moves will be retroactively criticized um, if Columbus doesn't play well down the stretch and either they miss the playoffs or they're bounced in the first round and people say, hey, you even, even though you didn't mortgage all of our future, you mortgaged some of it, and we have, again, nothing to show for it which has been the hallmark of this Blue Jackets franchise in the postseason, um, it, it will be retroactively criticized. So, so Yarmo put a big, big bet on himself, his coach, and his team to win. And I, I got to say, I, kinda, I, I, like, I like the gamble. Like it, it's it, it refreshing. It makes Columbus, in my opinion, one of the most exciting teams to watch down the stretch because I, I would argue that there's more pressure to win there than maybe 28 or 29 other markets right wow. now. In conversation with Travis Yost from tsn.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. So, Travis, let's play another round of Answer Your Own Twitter Poll. I feel we need, like, the, 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 the music in the background from Price is Right or something. But yeah, yesterday on Twitter, at Travis Yost, you asked your followers, which Western Conference team is the worst matchup for the San Jose Sharks? And the options offered were the Flames, the Blues, the Preds, the Golden Knights, and the Jets. So how would you answer your own poll? The reason why, first off, I also had another poll question. Is it process or process? Can we make a conclusion on that? But I I thought that's the one you were going to go to, but nevertheless. (laughs) I go process um, myself. That's what I say. Okay, and you're the right and sensible man, and I've always said that about you. I'm going to offend most of Canada, though, however, with that. Um, At least as it pertains to San Jose. The reason why I ask is, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it feels like the top tier, those core five or so, let's say even six teams in the Western Conference, don't they really feel interchangeable right now? It, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like, it, to me, San Jose has the best skating team in the conference. And if you took away the Nets, which I know is a, a joke that I make frequently here, but if you took away the Nets and you just put 10 guys in a puck out there, San Jose would own the puck, own the play uh, against any of those other teams. 
the the one team that I or there's two teams that I could see challenging them on that front, and that'd be Nashville and Vegas. But the reason why I bring that question up is if San Jose is the power of that conference, you also have to offset the fact that their goaltending is easily easily the worst in that group, and it's considerably so. It's probably the worst goaltending in the league, and I actually think that says that's a testament to how good the rest of the team has been to really offset the play of Martin Jones and um, Dell and, and, and any other backups that they brought in. They, they've been horrendous this year. Um, but, but from a matchup perspective, the reason why I ask is because I actually, the way it's shaping up, it looks like they're going to draw Vegas in the first round um, and then likely would have to play Calgary in the second round. I actually think, I don't know if it's crazy, I, I think they might want to play Calgary instead of hmm. Vegas. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know that they want a team that can trade shots and scoring chances with them at five on five because they have such a goaltending disadvantage against every one of those teams. And, you know, at least Calgary, there are still questions about goaltending there. I, I think Mark Andre Fleury is a much safer bet. And I, like it's setting up like San Jose, who in my opinion might be the best team in the conference could be in the toughest first round draw. Certainly so in the Western conference, because the team that they're about to draw up against uh, in Vegas, looks like the team that, in my opinion, is the worst possible matchup for them. And I believe uh, on the Twitter poll feed, I don't know if you have it up, I believe Vegas uh, was the team that people said was the worst yes. matchup. So I, I think that is a fairly commonly shared belief, which which makes it very interesting with the way the playoffs is the format is structured. That's right. Yeah, I had uh, I just have it here. Vegas, uh, the leader, forty two percent. Nashville and Calgary tied at twenty three percent. St. Louis last at twelve percent. So Vegas, there you go, leader in the clubhouse. And Travis, let's finish on this one. The Athletic released their twenty nineteen NHL player poll, and they asked one hundred ninety eight players to weigh in on a variety of topics, from best city to visit on the road to which coach you would not want to play for, and if the NHL's playoff format should be changed. To which sixty percent of the players said yes. The category I wanted to ask you about, though, is which NHL player is the most overrated and 23% of NHL players voted for P.K. Subban and Patrick Liney got 9% of the vote Aaron Ekblad, Dion Phaneuf, Eric Carlson rounded out the top 5 who is your most overrated player in the NHL and why the hate for poor P.K. Oh, come on oh man that's a great question poor P.K. oh man put me on the spot <laughs> um, I don't know where perceived value is around the league now but uh, Alex Pietrangelo, to me, has has been a, a fairly overrated defenseman for the last two or three years now, and I don't want Blue Sands to utterly freak out. When I say an over, a guy is overrated, that doesn't necessarily mean he is bad. I think mm-hmm. Alex Pietrangelo is a fine player. Um, he is not, and he is consi- he has consistently been regarded as a as a high end first pairing defenseman since really coming into into the league, and really since he took over that first pair. If you watch St. Louis's success this year, or even in prior years when they've had better teams, I, he consistently looks like the second or third best defenseman on his own team. He doesn't drive play the way that you expect or you do see from virtually every other um, number one defenseman on his respective team. And I, I, I think the market has started to correct for that a little bit. I think I think people are recognizing that the Blues are a, a more by-committee team than your average uh, NHL, NHL team now. So maybe that's helped calibrate where Pietrangelo stands on, on the pecking order. And again, I think he's a good player. But um, if you kind of look at the, the tangible results the Blues have gotten with Pietrangelo on the ice or off the ice over the years, how shots have went, scoring chances went, goals have went, they're pretty average, which, which again, is fine. I mean, the guy plays tougher minutes, he's tougher competition, but he is not putting up uh, you know, number high end number one uh, 
defender performance in the way he controls play, in the way he prevents scoring chances or goals against, um, or the way he drives play offensively. So, again, a nice player. Um, I would say he's probably at the top of the list. But um, I, I did think the Subban thing was interesting because I, I think Subban has been underrated for years. But, you know, now he's older, and I, I do think his play has slipped a little bit this year. And I, I do wonder how the, if the players are um, perceiving really this year as the driver of that or if this is a multi-year assessment. Um, because I, I'm inclined to agree that he hasn't been nearly as good this year as he had been in previous years. But I say that because in prior years, especially when he was in Montreal right before the Weber trade, uh, he was probably the third or fourth best defenseman in the entire league. And I don't know that the market ever recognized that. And I wonder, too, if part of it is like likability to bring brought in with that with the players, right? Because he, he can kind of he's a polarizing guy. So I wonder if that also comes into it uh, at some point. Yeah, as well. I, I think so. I, I think the league is getting a little bit better. And I give the young players a ton of credit for this. There's a little bit more personality in the league yeah. and the league sorely needs it. I mean, you know, it, about seven years ago, we hit our all time low where even a even a half celebration after a goal you would get guffawed at on every local and national <laughs> broadcast about the, you know, the credibility of the game and showing up the other team. Like I, that, like where, wherever you stand on the Carolina post game celebrations, I love like it. I, I get it. Some people don't like it. Some people like it. It is what it is. Um, the one thing I do admire though, is that they don't seem to care what the media and unfortunately some, it's more so with the Canadian media um, how they perceive what Ron Brin- Rod Brindamore and that, that organization are doing after games. They got a lot of pushback. They got a lot of, mm-hmm. hey, this is, a, this is a, a beneath the game. And the Hurricanes don't really care. And, I, and I, I do admire them for that, too, because it's like, you know what? In a league where everything is all shuttered up and buttoned up and everything, you, you can barely crack a smile half the time, it's good to see some personality and excitement back in the sport. And they're selling a bunch of jerk shirts. That's awesome. That's awesome to me. I love it. I, I love it. I already, I already <laughs> requested it from our... Our uh, friend Eric Polsky, I said, when when am I getting my adult large? Uh, you're a bunch of jerks, bunch shirt, and of I have jerks. not gotten a response yet, so I need to write him a nasty gram. Absolutely, we'll we'll keep on top of it. Thanks, Travis. Talk to you next week. Take care, Andy. <laughs> Travis Yost, TSN.ca at Travis Yost. After the break, Gus Cutseros from Roto World and McKean's Hockey talking some Maple Leafs. That blue line is banged up. What are they going to do? Gus is next on TSN Hockey Analytics. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's. Unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right, as many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca. The meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back and rolling on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure to get the show on Twitter. Over 20,000 Twitter followers at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can get past episodes or if you missed any of this one. Also on the TSN1050.ca show 
page. We are delivered by Domo's. Go grab yourself a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. And folks, do yourself a favor. The irresistible marbled cookie brownie for dessert. Check out all the great delivery and carryout specials at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Speaking of great... Gus Katsaros from Roto World and McKean's Hockey on the line. Gus, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. Let's let's get to the least blue line. Y- injury bug has struck. Jake Gardner out. Travis Dermott out. Considered week to week. That means the platoon of Martin Marincin, Justin Hall, Igor Ozhiganov will be called up in some order and used in some way. And we already saw the Hall and Marincin combo when the Leafs played the Islanders on Thursday, which that whole game... Bit of a dumpster fire. So, based on what you've seen from that, how do you expect the Leafs to handle their mi- missing their two key defensemen? Well, it, it looks like what they're just going to end up doing is platooning and trying to find out uh, if they find us some kind of mm. a winning winning pairing or, or or something. You can't really replace Jake Gardner and Travis Dermott. You can't replace what they bring to the lineup. So, you're just hoping to maintain. Um, and as long as the combination of Ozhiganov, Marincin, and Hall and whatever pairings they end up going by game to game um, are able to limit mistakes and try not to, I don't want to say um, put the Leafs in a position where they have to play catch up or they have to change their style of play in order to uh, uh, accommodate a lesser talent. Um, I think that they'll be okay. This is also going to put a lot of more pressure on Morgan Riley. Jake Muzzin, who hasn't really been as good as um, when he first came to Toronto, needs to step it up. And all the remaining veterans just need to kind of put it on a, on a different level. We've already seen Morgan Riley really thrive in, in, in the current Leaf structure. Um, he might have to take a little bit more time, and, and hopefully he's able to provide that same kind of structure over um, a longer period of play. And if, it, and if they can kind of weather the storm, I think that they'll be okay for the rest of the season by the time Dermot and Gardner end up getting back for the playoffs. So, Gus, based on that, well, you can't predict injuries, right? And you can always look back 2020, but not adding anything of, of significance at the trade deadline for the Maple Leafs. Is that if, if Kyle Dubas could go back in time and, and try to maybe get in on, on an Adam McQuaid or one of the other defensemen that got moved, do you think he would? Well, I, I think that he probably would have already liked to add some form of depth. I'm sure that that was one of the items that if a deal was available and something um, at a reasonable price, again, it, at the trade deadline, and those prices are just so difficult that, that it, it's tough to justify sometimes paying the asset that you need in order to get a depth player in mm-hmm. return. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I'm not too concerned that no deal was made. Um, and, you know, I'd like to kind of look at it from another element here. This is There is a bit of a silver lining. If the Leafs are going to go without Jake Gardner next year, well, this is the lineup that they currently well, have. You're right. You're so right. Yeah. If, if there's an internal solution, we haven't seen anything from Callie Rosen if they end up bringing him up. He's currently hurt, though, um, if they do anything. So if the Leafs have an internal solution, now is the time for it to emerge. If not... They're going to get a glimpse of what life is going to be like without Gardner in the lineup moving forward. I think that's a terrific point. And considering for Leaf fans wanting Gardner out of town with no other addition, careful what you wish for, right? Because yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a the gap for Gardner is Travis Dermott. That's who I think mm. steps up. But there is still questions on the blue line. Regardless, sure, there is. You take Gardner out of the lineup, and and it's a, a very different dynamic. And and let's be honest with each other. Gardner is a very effective player. I'm not saying that the Leafs can replace him. I'm just saying that life without him 
would require a little bit of tinkering. In conversation with Gus Katsaros from Roto World, their analytics columnist, McKean's Hockey Analyst on Twitter at Cats Hockey, Cats with a K. Now, Gus, when you look at, and we touched on it, falling flat the Maple Leafs did in Long Island, John Tavares' return, where's your confidence level at with this young core being able to rise to the occasion, being with the playoffs now coming into, well, a post-trade deadline, they're right around the corner, their ability to step up in big games against big competition, because that's what they're going to get in the first round of the playoffs. What, where's your confidence level at? Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to get. It's always going to be a big game. Yeah. And you could even call them big games moving forward. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like they've solidified a playoff spot or anything. They're one losing streak away from being, you know, in a wild card spot rather than third in the, in the division. So uh, we need to make sure we know where the Leafs are at this point in time. There is no easy way to um, to end the season. It's a playoff game and a playoff atmosphere going forward. So you have a young team that is um, – I would not – focus too much on the young team and the pressure surrounding all of that. I would focus on the fact that the Leafs really have played a similar type of game from last playoffs. They haven't really made a lot of adjustments and teams are starting to key in on the areas in which to make them less effective and to try to um, limit their skills. If teams are able to kind of pinpoint that and if I can kind of pinpoint that, I can imagine what a very experienced and sophisticated video staff is able to point out um, and if they start targeting those areas in the playoffs, um, I think it's more a matter of the Leafs' style being easier to play against. I don't want to say that they're not, they are easy to play. I'm just saying that they can pinpoint certain areas that they can target to make it easier to play against Toronto, making their lineup less effective. Um, stepping up in big games at this point, I think, is just a matter of, you know, were the Leafs able to execute their current playbook? And if they aren't able to, to execute, the narrative becomes, well, they're not able to step up in the, in the big games. Maybe we should look at it from the perspective of other teams are starting to understand where Toronto's weaknesses are, and they are pinpointing those weaknesses, and that is my area of concern. Gus, great stuff as always, buddy. We'll do it again soon. Pleasure is always mine. All Have right, there he goes. Gus Katsaros from Roto World from McKean's Hockey on Twitter at Cats Hockey, Cats with AK. We will head out and chat with national hockey writer from The Score and host of the Puck Pursuit podcast, John Mattis, next here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Cruising along on TSN 1050 Toronto, TSN Hockey Analytics. Andy McNamara with you on Twitter. Follow us at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. We post every show there, as well as on my Twitter and Instagram at AndyMCSports. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes as well. Have it downloaded right to your mobile device or check us out on tsn1050.ca and the show page. Fantasy Hockey Talk with James Harding from NHL.com coming up in a few minutes' time. But first, national hockey writer with the score, John Mattis is on the line. John, how's it going, man? Good. It's been a while, Andy. How are things? I know. Very good. Thank you. And I should also mention, of course, host of the Puck Pursuit podcast. So we'll we'll let you tee that up in a little bit as well, my friend. But this is our first post-NHL trade deadline episode. So I wanted to ask you, let's take a a quick look back on the winners and losers. So if we do two teams on each side, which team improved themselves most in your mind at the deadline? Um, Well, I guess the obvious answer is Vegas. Um, You can also say Columbus, given the the amount of moves they they made. But 
I'm going to go with Nashville just based on the, the you know the the packages that they sent the other way. I think that they had the best value uh, over over the deadline, getting Simmons on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the Greenland deal with uh, with the Wild was a complete steal. I mean, who knows what Kevin Fiala will turn into, but Mikel Granlin is a, a hell of a pickup for um, a deadline deal and a guy that can be put in their middle six that can that can really contribute. A terrific playmaker, play driver. Um, so I really like that deal. Simmons is declining. He's not the same as he used to be, but this is Nashville we're talking about. They needed some help um, in the forward group, and I think this just molds them a little closer to the, to the ceiling in terms of uh, what they're capable of. So I really liked what Nashville did. I liked Winnipeg picking up um, Hayes, um, also getting some defense help as, as Josh Morrissey goes down for a big year over the next month. So I thought that Winnipeg was pretty calculated and, and got what they wanted, and I really liked what, what Nashville did. And that's with the caveat of, of obviously Vegas and, and Columbus with, with Stone moving to the Golden Knights and Columbus loading up, um, them being the obvious choices. Now, teams that maybe hurt themselves a bit, either by making a deal, or I'll let you add this in, a team that did not make a trade who should have. So who who are the kind of the two the two downsides coming out of the deadline either from a deal they made or did not make? Yeah, like typically I'm not a huge deadline guy in terms of you know really going for it and mm-hmm. getting the big fish because a lot of times one it doesn't work and and two you're, you're forking over a lot of um, your future assets whether it's picks or, or high end prospects. So it, I'd say Calgary if we're putting it in this this context of a team that didn't make noise when, when, you know, they have a really good thing going right now in the Western Conference leading that conference, but not necessarily being um, a sure thing to say make it to the Cup Final that we think that Tampa Bay Lightning will do. Hmm. So the fact that they only picked up Oscar Fenberg, uh, some, you know, something to be desired with, with that roster. And again, this is a really good team, and, and they, they were apparently very close to getting Mark Stone. Uh, they ran out a couple other guys, so things fell through. But at the end of the day, you're still a loser if you didn't <laughs> win those trades. So, um, although I really like Calgary, uh, you know, they didn't improve their, their goaltending, which, you know, it's difficult at the deadline, but that's, you know, the, the sore spot there, although that David Rich has had a phenomenal year, there's still sort of a, an, a, an itch there where you're like, is that going to really be the guy that, that, you know, goes on a deep playoff run? And then also I thought, you know, their bottom six could use a little bit of an improvement. It's not the worst in the league by any means, but um, the fact that they only added a depth defenseman, you know, left me thinking maybe they're losers. And, and again, with an asterisk of them being a really good team. Um, I thought Pittsburgh made kind of a weird move picking up uh, Erica Branson, trading Tanner Pearson. Um, just a guy who, who who's not fit for, for 2019 NHL hockey and, and Erica Branson. And I realized that the thinking behind Jim Rutherford is going out and getting defensemen, uh, considering they have Oli Matta, Brian Dumoulin, and Crystal Tang all down right now and they're trying to make the playoffs, so I get it. Um, and I also understand that the, the, the defense market was, was almost frozen on the deadline with guys like Adam McQuaid moving and, and not much else. So I get all that, but just Eric Branson uh, at the end of the day isn't going to move the needle. And, and when you're Pittsburgh and you're always trying to load up, and I realize that Rutherford did a little bit of that in the lead-up to the deadline uh, you know, with, with the Hagelin trade and a couple other trades, uh, you know, within the, the first couple months of the season. Um, I just thought it was a little trade. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that Pittsburgh did that, and, and, and I can't see it being a net positive, I put them in the loser category as well. In conversation with John Mattis from the SCORE National Hockey Writer there and host of the Puck Pursuit podcast on Twitter, at Mattis John. 
Let's get to the Boston Bruins v. Maple Leafs, which is going to be the, the first-round matchup, it looks like, unless something drastic happens. But at the deadline, Bruins didn't go necessarily all-in for the big names. No Panarin, no Duchesne, but went for some lower key depth pieces at Ford. Charlie Coyle, Marcus Johansson, serviceable guys add some depth. And this is without David Pasternak in the lineup. Boston already by many and Leaf fans, hey, I've chatted with them on, on, on different shows, saying they don't think the Maple Leafs have a chance after the deadline with those additions. Does your opinion change of how that first round matchup would play out as things stand right now between the Leafs and the Bruins? I Yeah, I'm still... Drifting towards the Bruins, uh, if I'm, if I'm, you know, gun to my head, picking mm-hmm. a winner in that series, I think it would still go long and everything. But I just the the Leafs' defense is just, it's you know, obviously getting Muzzin was huge, but when I just look at what what Boston brings to the table now, especially now that they bolstered their, you know, their middle six by getting uh, Charlie Coyle, Marcus Johansson, two quality players, uh, and and that was their need, right? They've been set on the blue line, uh, and and you know, they finally have some help there. Uh, Kevin Miller, I think, is the only guy that's that's still uh, coming back from injury. But you know, they're finally they finally have you know Charlie and, and Charlie Co- or sorry Charlie uh, McAvoy, uh, Mac Reslick. You know, you go up and down that that defense, and it's it's pretty solid. Uh, so when you compare what Boston's doing uh, on the back end to what what the Leafs are capable of, um, it's it's a pretty big mismatch, especially when you factor in, uh, like I said, Boston. You know, uh, beefing up a little bit. That was that's always been the knock on them. They're a one-line team that has great defense and also you know quality goaltending. I think that now, even though the Leafs, you know, still have a better forward group. Don't get me wrong. And and you know, Tavares changes things in regards to comparing last season to this season and the matchup and 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 how that's all going to work out. I just think that when you look at the two teams right now, I just think that the, the way that that Boston attacks. Uh, defensemen, that the the way that they make them turn, uh, the way that they they forecheck them. I just think it's going to be very difficult for the Leafs to to win that series at this point in time. Like, we'll see what happens and we'll see what wrinkles uh, come through in the in the next month or so. But that, them being able to to have now a pretty pretty good top nine versus uh, a worrisome top nine, um, I think is is a bit of a game changer. Yeah, uh, boy, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and, and if any injuries pop up or whatever. But let's go to a couple other Canadian teams here, John. And, uh, well, the Senators and the Oilers, kind of eventful weeks. Guy Boucher fired from the Senators. Oilers living life without Connor McDavid with suspension. They're both, in different degrees, train wrecks and either retooling or rebuilding. At this point, which one do you feel is in worse shape going forward like who who might be farthest away from actually being able to be competitive again you know this seems like a um a hard question to answer but i just i think it's such a mess in ottawa that you have to pick edmonton and i have faith that that bob nicholson's gonna go outside of the old boys network in the summer and hire a gm that's what we're thinking and not you know an ex-player which is Mm. a big problem there and just be able to sort of right the ship don't get me wrong edmonton rebuild that continues for what is the year 15 uh is is not close to, to being where it should be and there's a lot of bad contracts there and there's a lot of work to do there but one they have Connor mcdavid and two uh although the owner seems to, to meddle a little bit here and there it's still not to the level that eugene melnick does in ottawa and i think that you know just the last 15 months in ottawa has been blow after blow after blow uh whether it's off the ice on the ice you know financial issues arena issues, 
um, just everything going wrong. And I just, I, I don't envy the person that, that, that steps behind the bench uh, permanently. Obviously, Mark Crawford is the interim coach there, but permanently, whenever that happens uh, in the off season. Um, and then Pierre Dorian, I don't, even though I think he's, uh, you know, he has his, uh, his, 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 uh, his problems as well, I don't envy him too as the guy who's basically the mouthpiece for, for the owner. So um, I think that although Otto has some really good prospects, and I'm not just saying that to say, oh, you know, the future might be bright, um, they do. Uh, and they even have some good NHLers that are just really young, in Brady Kachuk, uh, Thomas Chabot, Colin White. Um, they got some really quality players coming through the pipeline. Like that, they, they have one of the better situations on paper. But the fact of the matter is, is that players don't want to play there because they they can't get paid their signing bonuses. Uh, the owners, you know, involved too much. It's it's just a toxic environment. Whereas in Edmonton, yes, they have their issues, but it seems like for the most part, um, things are on stable ground in regards to you know how things operate there. And, and if they get a, the proper GM there, I'm, I'm pretty confident that with Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, and some decent defensemen in, in, in their top three or four, that they can turn this thing around. And the, the thing is, like with, with Ottawa, even though they do have a bright future, they still can't really move on to that future until the summer when um, you know they, 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 they hand over their pick to the Colorado Avalanche, which might be first, second, third overall, We'll see, because that's going to be another painful day uh, in Sens land. So 100%, uh, I would pick Edmonton over, over Ottawa at this point in time. John, before we let you go, let people know about the podcast, Puck Pursuit Podcast. Where can people find it? What's it about? Let us know. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Uh, it's, it's on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Google Play, all those places that people get podcasts. And it's me and a guest uh, once, sometimes twice a week, just breaking things down, uh, going to deep dive on, on certain topics. We actually, my, uh, my latest guest was Daniel Nugent Bowman of, of The Athletic. We, we talked about uh, the Boucher firing and, uh, and went pretty deep on the Oilers and what's going on there, the good and the bad, uh, and that came out yesterday. So, uh, yeah, find it wherever you find your podcast and, and, and subscribe and, and, and see what, it, what it's all about, and I'll let you, uh, let you uh, see if you like it enough to, to, to keep listening. So, uh, it's a lot of deep analysis, sometimes some, some players, sometimes some management or, or hockey ops people, uh, but a lot of time it's, it's me and a media member just uh, talking about hockey and, and going deep on, on a certain subject. And our own Travis Yost off the top said, uh, next time he's on your show, be nicer to him. He said, you grilled him last time. He, said, he told me to get, give, you some, give you some hell about that, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He's, uh, he's actually one of my, my favorite guests. You know, he's awesome. He, and you're one of our favorites. Thanks, John. Let's do it again soon. Okay, talk soon. Yeah. All right, John Mattis, National Hockey Writer with The Score, host of the Puck Pursuit Podcast. Time for some fantasy hockey talk after the break. James Harding, NHL.com Fantasy Writer. If you got a fantasy hockey question for your playoffs, for your league, for DFS, whatever, use hashtag HeyHarding, tweet at TSN Analytics, at AndyMCD1, at JHarding underscore hockey. We'll talk fantasy's biggest winners and losers out of the trade deadline as well. Stock up, stock down next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the iHeartRadio app. I'm Andy McNamara. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes so you never, ever miss an episode. 
or go back and listen to more. At TSN Analytics on Twitter, at AndyMC81 also on Twitter. Fantasy Hockey Talk time. We bring in my guy, NHL.com fantasy writer James Harding. James, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Andy. And uh, since we're talking about fantasy and betting, I just want to let you know I would put money on you landing the same amount of punches against Evander Holyfield <laughs> that Jordan Martinuk did last night. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, James, uh, listen, before we get to the fantasy, uh, you were at, all right, Toronto fans, we love James, but you were at the Islanders game for John Tavares' return. Give me a real quick take the atmosphere, because watching at home, it was like, ooh, that was, that was ugly, it was loud, the booing. How was, uh, how, how was it being down there? It was, uh, it was one of the craziest atmospheres I've ever been to in my life. I've been to hundreds of Islander games in my life at that building. Uh, the only time I could probably say... It was louder was when uh, John Tavares actually scored that game winner about five years ago in the playoffs against the Capitals to beat them in overtime. Uh, but uh, aside from that, I've never seen that place rocking and the energy as much. It didn't go a minute without the crowd chanting something. So they were in it wow. uh, all night. It was, a, it was an electric atmosphere, that's for sure. All right, well, let's get to the fantasy hockey talk and see who we should uh, go for and avoid this weekend. In Stock Up, Stock Down, and that is brought to you by Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants across the GTA. Three Brewers, great beer, great food, great times. James, give me your two Stock Up. I think you're starting with a former Maple Leaf, too, JVR. I am, yeah. James Van Rienzak, he's been having just a real breakout second half of the season down there in Philadelphia for the Flyers, even though they've been up and down, and obviously they made the trade to uh, trade Wayne Simmons at the deadline to Nashville. Uh, he's skating on that top line there with Claude Giroux and Travis Konechny. Uh, he's now been dropped down in the lineup. They're trying to spread out the scoring a little bit more, but he's still on that first power play as well with Giroux, Couturier, Voracek, and Gostisbehere. So he's playing all over that lineup right now, but he has a four-game point streak, four goals, two assists, three power play points, 13 shots on goal, and he has 10 points and five power play points in his past 11 games overall. So no matter where he's playing in that lineup, whether it's been at the top with Giroux and Konechny, or whether it's been on the third line with Lawton, anywhere in that lineup, he's productive right now. Only 49% owned in Yahoo leagues. So he's somebody I would jump on for the last six weeks of the fantasy hockey season. And then my second stock up for the week, heading out to Arizona, and that's goaltender Darcy Kumper. Uh, And he's just been on fire as of late. 39 shots faced the other night, 37 saves in their 5-2 win against the Canucks. He's now won six consecutive games, 19-14-5 on the season, but he's 8-3-1 with a 2.47 goals against average and a 9.23 save percentage in 12 games since the All-Star break. So he is backstopping them, potentially on the cusp of playoff contention, but Kumper is really having a breakout second half of the season right now. And if he's available in your league, and he's available in 50% of leagues, so he's out there, uh, he's a must-own if you need any kind of help with goaltending. Now, James, we're, I want to hit a few different things. So we're a bit tight on time, so give me one of your stock down. Give me one stock down. Yeah, and it's Martin Jones, the goaltender from the Sharks. Uh, just hard to trust him right now. He's tied for second in the NHL with Frederick Anderson with 30 wins, but he has a nine, uh, 295 goals against average and an 896 save percentage on the season. And he's allowed three goals against or more in each of his past three starts and in five of his past seven overall. And that includes 
a six goals against game against the Boston Bruins on February 18th. And he has a very, very tough stretch coming up. The Sharks do facing Chicago, Montreal, St. Louis, and then a road game at Minnesota. So I'm just not in love with Martin Jones if I have him as my goaltender right now. I was stuck up, stuck down with James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer at jharding underscore hockey. Joining me on the Domino's pizza delivery line. Check out all the great carryout and delivery deals at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. So, James, as we know, if you're in the fantasy season league, it's not going well, whatever, you can still play DFS. You can still play DraftKings hockey. So give me a best value play for your DraftKings contest this weekend. Yeah, and it's Connor Sheary from the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, under $3,500 value winger. He's coming off a three-point game, two goals and one assist against the Penguins on Friday night. He has five points, two goals, three assists, and ten shots on goal in his past four games overall. Uh, is facing a very tough matchup on Saturday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but in two games against them this season, he has five shots on goal and two block shots. Hmm. And remember, in fantasy, uh, in DFS, block shots do count towards points, so um, he is being productive, and I like where he is in their lineup, uh, seeing plenty of power play time, skating on the second line there, and at that salary, I would roll him with five points in his last four games. There you go. That is your DraftKings value play for this weekend, Connor Sheary. And, James, let's wrap up on this. Your biggest fantasy winner post-trade deadline. Who, fantasy-wise, uh, players around a guy who came or, or an actual player that got dealt, who's your biggest fantasy winner out of the trade deadline? Yeah, and there were a lot of big names that got traded, but if I had to, to pick one, it would be between Ryan Dezingle, who went from Ottawa to Columbus, or Kevin Hayes, who went from the Rangers to the Jets. But I'm going to say Dezingle. He's skating in the Blue Jackets, top six there. Uh, he's on the second line right now with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Oliver Bjorkstrand. But they could, if they needed to, shuffle that top six to put Dubois back with Panarin and Atkinson and shuffle Duchesne down with Dezingle, who was his constant line mate when they were together earlier this season in Ottawa. But he has points in each of his first two games uh, with Columbus. He's only 35% owned. He has three hits and three shots on goal in those two games. And he has an NHL career high, 46 points already. And in this potent Blue Jackets lineup now, potentially has the chance to hit the 60-point mark if he can continue this level of production. So I really love where he is right now. So if he's available in your league, and again, 35% owned, I would go jump on him right now as my biggest winner coming out of the deadline. James, great stuff as always. And, of course, if anybody has any fantasy hockey questions for your DraftKings, your DFS, your league, heading into the playoffs, whatever, you can hit him up on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey and just find fantasy writing work at NHL.com. Great stuff, buddy. Talk to you next week. Absolutely do. We'll do it then. All right. James Harding, as I said, from NHL.com. That'll do it, ladies and gentlemen. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050.